Another week of the impeachment inquiry into President Trump wraps up. Here are some news developments to keep you up to speed. On Thursday, The Washington Post reported that House Republicans have a new plan for how to shield President Trump from impeachment. To instead focus on three deputies, that's U.S. Ambassador to the European Union Gordon Sondland, Trump's lawyer Rudy Giuliani, and acting White House Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney, who House Republicans say could have acted on their own to influence Ukraine policy. All three of these men occupy a special place in the Ukraine narrative as the people in most direct contact with Trump. Also Thursday, a lawyer for the whistleblower whose complaint ultimately led the House to open an impeachment inquiry sent a cease and desist letter to Trump. In that letter to the White House, the lawyer demanded that Trump stop calling for the publication of the whistleblower's identity. And the lawyer alleged that Trump's, quote, reckless and dangerous comments have already intimidated his client. And on Friday, Mick Mulvaney defied a subpoena from House investigators and skipped a scheduled closed-door deposition. Mulvaney's defiance comes as Democrats released even more transcripts from previous depositions and plan to hold public hearings next week. Now, next week's public impeachment inquiry hearings led by the House Intelligence Committee mark the beginning of the next phase in this process. But what exactly does this next phase look like? How long will it last and when might the inquiry ultimately wrap up? We'll walk you through the next few weeks or potentially months so you know what to watch for as public hearings unfold. This is Can He Do That? a podcast that explores the powers and limitations of the American presidency and what happens when branches of government collide. I'm Allison Michaels. We again caught up with Congress reporter Mike DeBonis, our resident expert on congressional process. To understand where we're headed moving forward, I asked Mike to explain the extent of House lawmakers' investigative efforts thus far. We know that they've been holding closed-door hearings, but how else have investigators been collecting evidence? They've requested documents from various parts of the Trump administration. None of those requests have been granted so far. There actually have been some court rulings on FOIA requests made by reporters ordering the State Department to turn over documents that have been granted. So they may get documents through the public domain, which is kind of an odd little twist. But they have requested documentary evidence. Basically, anyone in the Trump administration who, even if they have cooperated to come for the interviews, has not brought any documents with them because they've all turned them all over to the executive departments and they're basically adhering to the White House uh, no cooperation position at this point. How much do they already know versus how much are they hoping to learn from the public hearings? I think that Democrats feel they know an awful lot. I think that they have the general sketch of what happened pretty well corroborated. What they're trying to do is get as much corroboration for that, as much evidence, as many people who were present and in the room and personally familiar with the events in question on the record testifying. And that's really what this process has been about so far. All right. So before we get into the details of what we'll see as the process moves forward, I want to talk about one notable sign that the Democrats are trying to move through this quickly. Tell me how the Democrats' approach to issuing subpoenas for witnesses has changed in recent days and what that reflects about their desired timeline in this. One was that they actually withdrew a subpoena. They had subpoenaed uh, Charles Cooperman, who was a deputy national security advisor. Basically, he was brought on as John Bolton's deputy at the NSC. He's described as having some knowledge of the conversations inside the White House. Democrats wanted to talk to him. They 
gave a request for him to come in, subpoenaed him. Cooperman responded by going to court and saying, listen, on one hand, I'm being subpoenaed by Congress. On the other hand, the White House is telling me not to cooperate. I am turning to you, federal judge, to tell me what to do. And in the eyes of Congress, this is not where they wanted to be. They did not want judges getting involved because judges move slow. In the best case scenario, a district judge in a, in a case like this is going to take several weeks to several months to make an initial ruling. And that's not the timeline that Democrats want to be on right now. So they did something interesting this week. They withdrew their subpoena, hoping to moot Cooperman's lawsuit, and basically said, we're not going to play your game of getting rope-a-doped into the courts. So basically, the, the, the House's position is, is this is a duly authorized subpoena. You have to follow it. You can't just go cry to a federal judge if you don't like it. But it also means, you know, it's basically calling a bluff is what it is. And it's basically saying, if you don't want to testify, fine, but make no mistake, you are in contravention of a subpoena. You're, in, in our eyes, breaking the law. And the sort of, you know, trump card here, no pun intended, is that if this goes to an impeachment trial, Cooperman or any other witness could be summoned in that trial and the, I, I think that in that case, the whole judicial process sort of becomes – is less of a factor, let's put it that way. But why is it so important to Democrats to move quickly? They're a little gun-shy from what happened earlier this year where in the course of investigating the president's alleged obstruction of justice and other matters, they sought testimony from, among other things, the White House counsel Don McGahn, numerous people who were involved in – Various episodes in the early Trump administration where they believe the, the president committed various offenses. And basically, they got stonewalled and they ended up going to court. And, you know, in particular, the McGahn case, which is the farthest along, it's been in the court now for three, four months and they haven't gotten a ruling yet. That may come in the next couple of weeks. But then, you know, you're talking about appeals to the D.C. Circuit. They lose at the D.C. Circuit. You're talking about another appeal to the full D.C. Circuit, then possibly a Supreme Court challenge. You're talking months and months of appeals. And if you're Democrats, you believe that the president has committed very serious, potentially high crimes and misdemeanors, that you know this needs to move fast. If, if he's, in fact, done these things, and then there's an imperative to sort of create the accountability for that in real time. Obviously, give the president due process, but also don't let him and his associates engage in dilatory tactics to try and delay things and perhaps get, get through to the 2020 election. Along the, the lines of not delaying, at this point, we know for sure that there will be three public testimonies next week. William Taylor, George Kent on Wednesday, and then Marie Yovanovitch on Friday. That's week one. Will there likely be additional public testimonies in week two? I think it's likely. Nothing has been planned out more than a week ahead of time. And I, I think that that's a healthy thing to remember for this process going forward. Nothing is set in stone. The most anything is planned ahead of time is going to be a week or so. That said, there are some sort of informal guideposts that people are keeping an eye on. The holidays are important. You know, you've got Thanksgiving coming up. The House is going to be back next week for two weeks before they break for Thanksgiving. So that's sort of seen internally in the Democratic leadership as this is going to be our public hearing portion of this 
investigation. We're going to show these people who were at the center of this episode involving the U.S. and Ukraine, and they're going to say in their own words what they saw. And I think they're going to take these two weeks, put these witnesses in front of cameras, have them tell their stories. That's um, the House Intelligence Committee holding these public hearings. The House Intelligence Committee will hold these hearings. We know of three witnesses so far. There, I, I think there's a wide, broad, pretty broad expectation that there could be more. We don't know exactly who. We have some, you know, educated guesses, but most likely it's going to be people that have already testified behind closed doors. But it's not, not that's not necessarily true. Okay, so we'll have these two to three weeks of public hearings from House Intel. Will there be any action over that Thanksgiving break? Sort of what happens after Intel wraps these up? Uh, hard to tell. So uh, in the rules that the House adopted for this, they sort of sketch out a two-phase scenario where there's this public hearing investigation phase. Then the House Intelligence Committee basically collects all of its evidence, all you know, makes its findings, and then that's forwarded to the House Judiciary Committee, which actually writes the articles of impeachment. So I think that it's reasonable to assume that if you look at these next two weeks as that investigation window, that week of Thanksgiving might be where behind closed doors, the Intelligence Committee is starting to write its report get its findings together and prepare to forward this to the Judiciary Committee. And then the Judiciary Committee might have the ball, so to speak, after Thanksgiving. And that report that's delivered to the Judiciary Committee, what goes in it? Is it a list of articles of impeachment specifically or a list of suggested articles for the Judiciary Committee? Uh, it's not entirely clear. Basically, what it is is it's going to be a report of findings and say, this is what we found. This is the account. This is the evidence. There's probably going to be some suggestions of what could be considered a serious offense. But it's going to be up to the Judiciary Committee to actually write the articles. Will we see that report? Is it something that's made public? Uh, almost certainly, yeah. I, I think there's a tiny chance there may be some redacted classified portions, but very little of what we've seen so far has been redacted. And I, I, th I don't think that it's likely that there would be big parts of this that wouldn't be subject to public inspection. The Judiciary Committee will then have this report. And what do they do between getting this report and writing formal articles of impeachment to be voted on? Well, that's an interesting question. There's a lot more precedent for in the House Judiciary Committee with regards to impeachments than there is with the House Intelligence Committee. The House Intelligence Committee has not really been involved in an impeachment before. Um, it's only really existed for, you know, 30, 40 years. The Judiciary Committee, however, has done this before. And basically, they're going to have to do a number of things. They have to do a legal analysis of what constitutes high crimes and misdemeanor which is constitutionally the grounds for impeachment. That's happened in every impeachment so far. And typically, that's a fairly lengthy, involved legal document and involves some significant legal analysis that has to be done. Under the rules that the committee has adopted, that the House actually adopted for the committee last week, the president gets uh, a certain amount of due process. His lawyers have a right to be present at any proceedings, to make suggestions about uh, additional evidence to suggest witnesses to be interviewed. All of that remains at the discretion of the chairman. But, you know, have no doubt that Trump is going to have some input or you know, try and present his case when it comes to the Judiciary Committee. That could slow things down. I mean, th th this could go from a rapid fire process to one that 
gets, um, I'm going to say ground to a halt, but it has the potential to slow down uh, significantly unless Democrats take a very hardline stance and, and overrule basically anything that Republicans want. And, and, and they're going to be hard pressed to do that because they want to maintain the perception that this is a fair process. And to the extent that they overrule witnesses that the Republicans want, that the president wants, uh, refuse to take up evidence that Republicans uh, suggest that's going to harm them in that regard. When we talk about proceedings or bringing in witnesses, what exactly is the Judiciary Committee doing? Are they holding public hearings? Are they deliberating? Are they just working together to form a legal analysis? Are these things we can watch as the public? Or, or what exactly is happening? Some of them are. Some of them will be public. There will be at least one meeting where they would, you know, so to speak, mark up articles of impeachment, mm -hmm. where they would be introduced and members would be able to weigh in, potentially amend them. That's the bare minimum. But in prior impeachments, you've, you've had more than that. In the case of the Clinton impeachment, you had a two-day set of hearings. Now, they had a number of witnesses. They were mostly legal, legal and historical witnesses. These are people who were testifying to the legal and historical context of that particular impeachment. They did not hear from fact witnesses who were talking about the circumstances in question. They heard from Ken Starr, who was this independent prosecutor at the time, independent counsel, who had basically investigated all of the facts at issue in the Clinton impeachment. But they didn't go back and interview anybody else who was involved in that. Um, so there's a question about whether the Judiciary Committee would go and interview fact witnesses in addition to doing the, those same sort of historical and legal context type witnesses. So we could potentially see a few weeks of public hearings in the Intel Committee, then a few weeks of these deliberations and perhaps expert witnesses in the Judiciary Committee. Then we have draft articles of impeachment. When would we have those, according to this kind of potential analysis? Well, there's a lot of, you know, hope that this happens in the, you know, this whole Judiciary Committee process plays out in the weeks between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Hope from whom? Democrats? Reporters? Dem <laughs> yeah, I think everybody, actually Republicans too, I think everybody is, you know, quietly wants this to adhere to this particular timeline. But the people who are actually in charge of this process have an interest in maintaining the perception that nothing has been preordained and that this is, you know, they're going to follow the facts and this could take uh, a few weeks, it could take a few months. But I think that there's a, a, a political imperative, if not a sort of legal and historical imperative to get this done within a reasonable time frame because the longer it goes, I think the thinking goes, is that the less the American people is going to pay attention or, you know, stay tuned into it. And it's also the longer you go, the more it sort of loses its punch and, and sort of gives oxygen to Republicans who say that that's aimed at just railroading the president. So I think that there's just this general feeling that that's been expressed and you know from my conversations with house democrats and aides that there is this sort of informal timeline of trying to get this done in the house by christmas assuming there's some sort of vote before christmas at that point if trump is not impeached in the house which is unlikely but if he's not what happens does everything just kind of go back to normal is that it? <laughs> Normal. <laughs> Normal is an interesting word to use anymore. <laughs> Does um, the do impeachment proceedings end? Is that the end of If the House doesn't doesn't adopt uh, articles of impeachment, then that's that. And I, I should add that, you know, after the Judiciary Committee approves the articles, it would go to the floor and there would be a floor, you know, and that could be a week in itself. I mean, you, you, you'd have probably several days of debate 
in the House on impeachment on the floor. So add another week for that. Then when we're looking at the beginning of a potential Senate trial, we're talking about January. Yeah, I think generally speaking, I think people have their fingers crossed that there would at least be a gentleman's or gentlewoman's agreement to not start this till everyone's back from the holidays. I just want to address one possible wrench in this whole timeline. Simultaneously, the House has to pass a spending bill or spending bills to prevent the government from shutting down. Can you explain how these two timelines might converge? Boy, oh boy. Um, uh, so quiet in Congress. <laughs> right. So currently, the government is being funded under a continuing resolution, basically a, a piece of temporary funding legislation that expires on November 21st. So basically, they have to do something before November 21st. Right now, there's pretty good consensus that they're not going to be able to pass actual appropriations legislation, so they're going to need another extension. The question is, when does that extension go to? There's Right now, there's sort of a difference of opinion whether it should be just do it into December, maybe that you know Thursday or Friday before Christmas, or do you do it longer, give more time for the impeachment process to play out? And there's sort of two different schools of thought there. One is like, you're never going to get any real appropriations deal done as long as impeachment's hanging out there. The other is you need this uh, holiday deadline to force any a- actual action on appropriations because if it goes into next year, people are just going to throw their hands up and give up. And depending on how impeachment goes, the White House may refuse to engage and just want a year-long funding extension of last year's levels, which really nobody in Congress wants. That's what they're all trying to avoid. But there, there's a scenario where you could see impeachment becoming so messy and divisive that it just ends up there. So they're trying to work that out right now and figure out whether they want to go short term or a little longer term on that extension. If the government shuts down, though, can the president be impeached during that time or has is Congress required to stop those proceedings? Uh, yes, the president could be uh impeached. Uh, So members of Congress themselves get paid regardless. Mm -hmm. There's a question about staff that whether they would get paid or not. During a shutdown, they probably wouldn't get paid, but Congress would probably make up their back pay at a later date. It's a scenario that's being worked on right now, but if the president is laboring under the assumption that shutting down the government is going to stop his impeachment, like he's just completely mistaken. Could a government shutdown have political implications for Trump that would relate back to the impeachment process? That's a tricky question. I mean, I think he knows the last shutdown was not positive for him, that he did see his approval ratings tank. I don't think that, you know, shutting down the government amid an impeachment, it's hard to see how that would play differently. But, you know... Crazier things have happened, haven't they? <laughs> well, speaking of crazy things, so as we look at this timeline in the next month or two, what's the thing that stands out to you? Uh, John Bolton. Mm-hmm. Is John Bolton going to testify? I think that he's he's like the mystery man in all this. So the whole – we talked about the Charles Cooperman lawsuit. Bolton was believed – is believed to be similarly situated, which is that – He's not necessarily against testifying, but he wants a judge to clear the way for his testimony. And will a judge still be weighing in on the Kupperman case, given that the subpoena has been retracted? So far, yes, because the judge in that case said this week that he's not going to close the case because um, it's going to be up to Kupperman because he filed a lawsuit. And he could very well decide that even though the subpoena has been withdrawn, I still want uh, some guidance here because 
perhaps in the future I might be this may come up again. So it's possible in the next few weeks we will have an answer to whether or not John Bolden will testify. Right. And another thing we're watching there is the Don McGahn case that I mentioned earlier. We're expecting a ruling in that maybe sometime this month, sometime next month. And that could be, you know, there, there's some speculation out there that that alone could provide enough cover to Bolton that he might uh, consider testifying. All right. Well, I imagine if we get conclusions in those cases, we will ask you to come back on the show. Mike, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. As you just heard, this episode covered what's likely to happen in the next few weeks as the House portion of the impeachment inquiry wraps up. If you want to know what a Senate trial might look like, go back and listen to our October 18th episode where we outline it in detail. And if you want to get more news about the impeachment inquiry, you can now subscribe to a new podcast feed from The Washington Post. All of our audio updates on the inquiry in one place, including the latest from Can He Do That, Post Reports, and The Daily 202's Big Idea. Updated whenever news happens. Subscribe at WashingtonPost.com slash podcasts. Can He Do That is a team effort here at The Post. It's produced by the ever-unruffled Carol Alderman, with design help from Kat Rudolph-Brooks, logo art from Loren Boglio, and theme music by Ted Muldoon.